Three, two, one. Hey, Julie, welcome to our Sunday special podcast. Yes, it is a part of the weekend here, and we're kind of doing the Sunday show warning. This is not our normal podcast. Anything goes. You never know what's going to happen. That is your Surgeon uh, General Health Warning, <laughs> the Sunday podcast. We are literally not having any sort of structured what we're going to talk about in, in whatever order we're going to present it. Um, and we do and have gotten in the habit of pulling out some particularly interesting, bizarre, strange news stories just to entertain all of you guys. Well, frankly, and entertain each other yes. <laughs> for the Sunday show. But there's a lot on my mind today, actually. A lot mm-hmm. of things that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm preparing for for the following week. But Sunday for us is our opportunity to defrag from the previous week and, and get focused and drilled down and motivated for the following week. And hopefully you guys are copying that same behavioral pattern because um, it really does give your, your mind an opportunity to take a little bit of a breath. And I know, you know, real estate Sunday, I get it. You guys are working, but still try to figure out some time to carve out some, you know, mental reprieve time. Otherwise, basically your mental capacity for new thoughts starts to be dramatically limited. And then you just uh, essentially uh, ignite the fear brain. So be very, very conscientious of that. So Julie, yes, how was your week? It's very interesting. Lots of things happened. You know, of course, the hot topic this week was what Zillow was up to. Right. And actually, that's what was on my mind, too, because I've been reading more about it. And uh, you and I listened to some podcasts yesterday. We listened to Rob Hahn's podcast and some others. And there, were, Rob had some a lot of great points about what their guessing is going to happen. Most, I'd say 90, maybe 80% of what they said, you and I have been saying on our podcast during the past week. By the way, those podcasts we did on the Zillow topic, for those of you who are doing real estate podcasts, anytime you talk about Zillow, you're going to get a lot more uh, listens and downloads. Uh, than you normally would. So I strongly encourage you to have Zillow as a as a uh, omnipresent theme on your podcast. Uh, look how often Inman does stories on uh, Zillow. And the reason is simple, because a lot of people are going to listen to it. So why is Zillow on everyone's mind? Zillow now open door are essentially the new, I think they're going to soon prove themselves to be the new, new behemoths in this sort of new way of doing real estate, which may or may not actually play out or it may or may play out in a different iteration than we're currently seeing. But yesterday, Julie and I said, or either Friday, we said, we think the two dominant players in the real estate space going forward are not going to be any of the traditional brands. They're going to be eXp, Realty, and Zillow. And what when we listened to these podcasts, mostly Rob's yesterday, I have to say my stance on that was further uh, emboldened because what Rob was pointing out was the inherent advantage that Open door, you know, what Zillow has is an advantage over Open door. And so I want to hit on some of those high points of what we heard yesterday. Um, but the main thing I want you guys to realize, and this is the thing that's hard to, it's easy to say, but it's hard to necessarily infuse into your brain, is that during the greatest times of change is when the greatest fortunes are always made. And that's always been true. And that's true for the biggest fortunes, you know, and all the way down to people that are just getting started in their business. So what you want as an entrepreneur. What you want is a very disruptive environment. What you don't want is trying to basically compete in a marketplace where essentially all the players are on the board and the rules are already already set and consumer expectations are what they are. In those types of markets, you're not going to get any market share. You're not going to make any money. In a market where basically everyone's arms are up in the air or looking for direction, that's when you strike. That's when you actually do something uh, miraculous. You know, it's so I don't forget this. I was actually listening to another podcast. Uh, actually, this was a Zoom interview. It was between... 
uh, Glenn Sanford and our friend um, uh, Orlando Montiel. And what uh, La- Orlando asked a really great question. Um, we well, have lot- to say who those people are, not all of our listeners. Oh, sorry. So Glenn is the CEO of EXP, and he's also the, he's not the CEO, he's the founder of EXP and EXPI, which is the international brand. And uh, Orlando is a, you know, quite famous international Hispanic coach, um, you know, financial expert, real estate expert, he's been on TV shows and everything else. Yeah. So when listening to this, I was really fascinated to hear Glenn talk about the, and I knew this already, but in case you guys didn't, and I'm, the point here will be salient in about two seconds is that EXP was in essence started in the ashes of the last housing crash. And that's where um, Glenn had the epiphany that there needs to be some system, some brokerage needs to be put in place where truly agents, despite themselves, and this is what he said, which I thought was actually very, very true, (laughs) agents, despite themselves, still have the opportunity to build wealth and still have the opportunity to have financial um, security and not to mention some sort of retirement. So he had laid out the premise of his... um, brokerage concept was being agent centric. And I thought that was obviously that's right in alignment with our worldview as well. Um, and that's juxtaposed to a, a conversation I had with Gary Keller. Um, this was maybe, I don't know, two Aprils ago at this point. And um, it wasn't a long conversation, but he, and he said this publicly, so I'm not you know betraying a confidential conversation, but his customers now aren't agents, his customers now are consumers. And I get why he's thinking like that, right? You know, he's, he's a tech company, or at least that's what Keller Williams wants to pivot to become a tech company. And as a tech company, you can't, you have to basically have consumers as your um, end user, or as your target of who you're going to design all your operational stuff around. Otherwise, you're not going to have much of a tech company. Well, EXP is the only remaining real estate brokerage that's going to basically, uh, that is essentially a tech company already, born as a tech company, born out of the the, the confusion and the pain and the despair from that last housing crash, born from essentially the ashes, like I said, of the last housing crash. And again, remember what I said, guys, the greatest ideas, the greatest opportunities are always made during the greatest times of change. And so what did Glenn do? He created something that was agent-centric. And and so you could have argued before, well, you know, all brokerages are agent-centric. And I would say that Keller Williams was born being an agent-centric brokerage. But now it's obviously a pivoted to be a consumer-centric brokerage, which means the agents are no longer the primary concern of the brand. Whereas EXP, the primary concern of the brand, and you can see basically on all the things that Glenn built in, baked into EXP, that it absolutely has agents at the heart of the brokerage, absolutely has agents at the, at the heart of the, uh, in the business model. And that really resonates with Julie and I simply for the fact that the brokerage that supports you should be in the agent business and the agent should be in the consumer business. And so if all of a sudden you're as a brokerage, if you're suddenly saying, I'm now in the consumer business, then what does that make your agents? Like, I don't even understand how they even line up inside your business model. Well, eventually, if you're going to stay on that line of uh, consumers being your, uh, you know, your, your customer, you're going to end up like Open Door or Zillow. Because that's exactly, and what are they? What have they done? They're relegating agents. They're going to hire agents to uh, basically employees. be employees. Yeah, you know, they're like so, doing the back end, basically, of the front end business. Right. So mentally, move yourself, you know, three or five paces, you know, into the future, and you're going to see inevitably that's where you're going to see this big dividing line, and you're going to see, in my opinion, Julie and I's opinion, Open Door and um, Zillow and EXP be the dominant real estate brands in the world, and the other real estate brands. It's not that they don't have the intellect or the financial you know, backing or even the intellectual horsepower to basically build something like what EXP is building, but their existing uh, structure won't allow it to happen. 
their existing business structure is, is uh, beholden to a franchise model. Not good or bad. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying what it is. And I heard a, a very there was a very very interesting interview. I think it was done with um, the CEO of Porsche or the CEO of uh, Mercedes, and they were talking about electric cars. And everything's going electric is being electrified. And California Gavin Newsom just said by 2035, and think about that, guys, 15 years, no new gas-powered cars are going to be legal to be sold in California. As goes California, as goes a lot of other markets. Allows, you know, and you're going to see everything's going to change in the electric car space at lightning speed. So if it's 2035 when no, no, no new gas-powered cars are going to be uh, sold in California, and California is one of the biggest markets for cars in the world, well, you're going to see a lot of these car manufacturers. They're not going to wait until you know 2034. They're going to stop making gas-powered cars a lot faster than that. So not even hybrids, not even gas electric, full-on EVs. That's what he's saying. Um, so again, why is this important? Because the Porsche, or whether he was a Mercedes-Benz CEO, said we have a 10-year disadvantage to um, Tesla. We can't catch up with Tesla. So unless Tesla decides to take a few years off and go to the beach, well, I mean, he Mars. can go Mars, right? So I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so unless unless Elon and all of his you know brilliance and all of the brilliant people that works for him decide just to say, yeah, screw it, let's just take this rock, one-way rocket ship to Mars, they will always have an advantage, and uh, they will probably have a compounding advantage. In other words, their advantage will go from a, a 10-year advantage to a 20- or 30-year advantage just because they're already operating at a different level than all these other standard ordinary car manufacturers as much as Porsche or Mercedes or any of these others are. But their technology, their platforms, the whole way they do business, the whole way they think about cars isn't as advanced if the whole world's going to go into electrification. And I hope you guys all see that. And again, I'm a car guy, you know, Julie, yeah. Julie and I, we like, we like old cars and we, you know, I, so, so to think about this and say about this is uh, heresy to my hobby, right? Yeah. But the reality of it is it's going to happen nonetheless. And that's exactly what's happening in real estate. Well, more evidence of the new, we might even go so far as to say real estate renaissance, because things are absolutely changing just as Tesla is part of the renaissance in automotive technology. Companies like EXP, you know, they were born that way. They're not just, right. you know, you were talking about Mercedes and Porsche and all the traditional brands that are having to become electrified versus Tesla that was born that way. And it's, I think that's that's a, a fair analogy. Well, thank you for that. And it, it's really fascinating when you think, again, car nerd alert, whoop, whoop. Okay, so if you think about one of the biggest problems you have in um, d electrifying a car is where to put the batteries. Because the batteries are massive and they're incredibly heavy. And the only way to really do it is the way um, Tesla does it, where you basically build what, build what amounts to a surfboard that you put in the bottom of the, the car. And that's essentially the way, you know, that's the way all of them are doing. I was trying to remember, there's another, uh, there's another big designer of electric cars. And he, this guy is going to be, um, he's getting, he's licensing, it's in Europe. Uh, I'll remember when I stop trying to remember. Uh, anyway, he made that um, crazy, um, sport, super fast electric car that uh, Richard Hammond almost died in. Oh, yes. You know that I guy? don't remember the name of it, yeah, but I know what He's like mean. in his yeah, 20s yeah. or his early 30s. Yeah. But he's got, he is, essentially, right, he is essentially the only other uh, company on planet Earth which is operating anywhere near where Tesla is. And so all these car manufacturers are, like Ferrari and all these others, they're all licensing his technology. But here's where ultimately the problem comes in. When you're trying to retrofit 
an electrified, you know, essentially underpinnings to a non-electrified chassis, you have no place to put the batteries. Everything is designed into these cars that are coming out of the, all the big manufacturers except for uh, Tesla. They're all designed around a traditional automotive structure. You have a transmission, you have a gas engine, you have a gas tank, you have, you know, all this other stuff that's designed to you know, support a traditional automotive thing. And then you have all these brain boxes and computers and wires and hoses and all this stuff, fuel lines, brake lines, all this stuff, right? An electric car, guys, you have virtually none of it. You have essentially, if you if you ever seen the architecture of electric car, it's actually amazing. The big battery pack, imagine a surfboard, there's a big battery pack. And then depending on how many motors there are, each, in, each axle or e- each wheel basically can have its own motor. So there, there is, there are still, you know, hydraulic brakes, but there's also e-brake, and I won't bore you guys with all that. But the moral of the story is, is the whole car, in order for it to function at the highest level, has to have been designed from day one to be electrified. Otherwise, it's just basically a hodgepodge, and the product you produce is going to suck. Okay, that's really the bottom line. And you're seeing all these automobile manufacturers are, that are having to play catch up with Tesla. And the, and the nature of what they're designing. And when you guys see, and I, Julie and I are not Tesla stockholders and, you know, um, I mean, we, we have no real connection to them whatsoever. But when you see the innovation that's coming out of Tesla and you see all the people that are hating on Tesla, you guys got to understand a lot of that is organized hate from the traditional industries that are basically going to, uh, you know, be made obsolete. And that's what happens anytime a new idea comes around, is that basically the traditional people that have supported it and have been been supported by it, employees and shareholders maybe, they're the ones that are going to be most vocal against the new idea because they're the ones that stand to have the most to lose. Again, EXP went through that cycle for like maybe the last five or six years where a lot of people were doubting it. Well, the people were doubting it because they had a, you know, they had a horse in the race, you know, as far as wanting things to stay the same. But now what you're seeing with Zillow, an open door. So, and, and this is good. Rob Hahn had these concepts, and I thought this was really fascinating. So, do you remember he said this, Julie? Is, um, well, just to finish up that thought. So, the idea that a traditional brokerage some, can somehow retrofit an online brokerage like eXp to their existing model, it just won't happen. It cannot happen. So, the only way for them, they'll, they might have um, sort of like gimmicky, shadowy replicas of it. They might come out with things that make it sort of sound like they have an online version. But at the end of the day, the existing franchise models, which all of these guys are built on, will prevent them from ever having anything like what eXp has. It is, I think, in some cases, illegal. You can't have uh, agents that are essentially virtual agents with a particular brand being operational in an area that's supposedly owned by a franchise holder. I mean, there's all these very, very strange, convoluted, ancient laws pertaining to franchises and all this stuff, none of which I even remotely understand or pretend to. But it does prevent the, you know, the big brands, the big traditional brands from getting into the online real estate space like eXp has in a meaningful way. And that clearly is the direction that the industry is going. Um, so here's some, the point that Rob made with Open Door mm-hmm. and with Zillow, which I thought was fascinating. So Zillow has an inherent advantage because of the fact that Zillow is um, – so here, here, here's the two ways of thinking of it, right? So Zillow has a market cap of close to $20 billion, mm-hmm. which is insane because eXp has a market cap of something like $3 billion. And if you think about that difference, why would eXp have you know, $17 less billion of market cap compared to Zillow? Well, I think if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense, except Zillow has essentially done two things incredibly well. 
they've got a portal that's got just gobs and gobs of people that look at it every day, right? Tons of people go home searching on Zola every single day. And then you have on, um, and that's basically the inherited advantage that they have. Where they have an inherited disadvantage is they have no brokerages. They ha- they're not really licensed in 50 states. They don't have the, you know, the, the penetration, the boots on the ground type relationships that agents and brokers will have. We can talk forever about the pluses and minuses, all that. But clearly, Zillow is going to have to scale up on the brokerage side of things in order for them to be competitive. Great offers aren't going to be the same as having essentially really powerful salespeople on the ground to sell said great offers. Well, so Zillow has an advantage because they have a portal, they have traction, they have essentially the impetus through their seemingly limitless amounts of money to buy as much market share as they want to. Well, as Opendoor effectively went uh, public recently, and they have a, a market valuation of $5 billion. Again, why would Opendoor be worth more than eXp? Again, doesn't make sense. And so when I say doesn't make sense, the, the real big takeaway you guys need to be thinking about here is because once eXp is firmly established as a tech company, does it make sense? I guess conceptually it makes sense that um, EXP shares would, uh, would trade at the same level and have the same valuations as these other real estate tech companies. Because really, truly, EXP, if you think about it, at the end of the day, is the only real real estate tech company. These other guys have just started buying and selling houses effectively. So you have Zillow that is um, now scaling out their brokerage operations. And then you have um, Open Door, which is essentially saying they're going to do the same thing. So you have these two giants in the home buying space who are going to go absolutely mono e mono to uh, essentially you know, dom- try to dominate that. They're going to try to become the Kleenex of iBuyers, right? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so what is Open Door going to be? And again, this is what Rob said. He thinks that uh, Open Door probably is going to have to buy something like Redfin, like specifically Redfin. Open Door is going to have to buy a, an established real estate brand with agents, with offices, with the ability you know, to facilitate transactions. Mm-hmm. And Redfin does make the most sense because their agents are already on salary. Yes. So what do you think about all this? Well, you and I talked about several aspects of this, one of which is that uh, because they're quite literally buying inventory, right, with their instant offers and stuff like that, that that, you know, a seller in today's market might go for that because they've got plenty of equity, the market's right. been escalating, there's not, you know, a convenience fee, essentially. Right. That's what, you should, that's what it should be called, that a convenience fee. That is what it fee. should be called. Right. And they will, both of those companies will get inventory that way. But what happens in a market correction, what happens when there's not the equity story anymore? Where's the inventory come from there if it's largely driven by the instant offer crowd? So let's scale that back because mm-hmm. I agree with what you said. But here's the interesting thing about that in particular. Um, what what percent of, out of 10 people, how many of people are going to be willing to leave, say, let's just be conservative, 10% mm-hmm. or 20% on the table? It's not that much. It's more like 10 or 13% on the table mm-hmm. from taking an iBuyer offer. What percent, what number out of 10, even in the best of times like we have Maybe now? Maybe one. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I mean, may- we know this from our coaching business because we have coaching clients that have their own instant offer right. through their own investors or through eXp. And they do these programs. And I would say it's it's maybe even less than 1 in 10, but that's that's probably pretty close. I think that's right. And I think, and to your point, if the market were to reverse in a meaningful way, which it will in some markets, and then the sellers don't have the same amount of equity, that the sellers aren't going to be able to take less because then they'll be underwater in their houses. To which I say it's very possible that these iBuyers could actually write a check for the negative equity on the yes. houses, if, depending yeah. on how greedy they are to basically be dominant yeah. in the market. Which would be an interesting turn of events as well, right? right? Well, because that would... Would eliminate short sales, right? Well, I mean, in a sense. 
So, so for you guys to don't be thinking in terms of how can they continue to do this? They're losing money on every house. They will lose money on every house until the cows come home because they're publicly traded. Remember, I just told you Zillow losing money, only making money off selling you guys buyer leads, is still valued at twenty well, seventeen billion dollars. They okay. have it to lose. They have to lose. Yeah. Open Door, who's no one knows what their finances are. They're going to know now that they're effectively publicly traded. Um, as a part of this big holding company, then all their numbers are going to come out. But they're valued at $5 billion. So the investor space seems to think that there's a lot of legs on this idea of buying houses and appealing to that. You know, Julie said 10%, and I'll say realistically 20% of potential sellers. Now, put that in perspective. There's even in bad times, between 5 and 6 million real estate transactions that happen per year. So you're you're talking about a fairly significant bite out of the market that's going to go to these I buyers, but that's not really the threat. So the threat isn't that everyone's going to be trading their houses in it at a discount at a wholesale price and the whole thing. Um, the threat ultimately is that what these guys are going to do. And Julie and I, when we sold real estate in the '90s, we had a guaranteed home sale, and I can tell you for sure this works. Is they're going to become a go-to for anybody thinking about selling their house. So even on Zillow right now. When you're searching for a listing, there's a little button that you can effectively, depending on what market you're in, right? They have to have their iBuyer operational in your market. But you can literally just click a button and basically have them uh, and enter into their iBuyer portal and then see what offer they'll submit. So if you decide, if you're like, we're guessing 80%, maybe 90% of all the uh, sellers out there, and you reject that discounted offer, that you're still a seller lead and they're going to still sell that seller lead. But what we think is going to happen, and even though they're denying they're going to do this, of course, they're going to do this, ignore the denial. They're then going to keep that seller lead internal and they're going to basically have their inside agents work those seller leads. So where the threat here isn't the number of transactions they, that actually transact through the um, you know, the iBuyer portals. It's not the number of houses that these, it's going to be open door and Zillow. But, and I'm going to tell you how eXp basically is perfectly positioned here in a second. But what you're looking at realistically is you're looking at a sea change in the way that consumer behavior happens, where consumers are at least going to probably, they're going to go through the paces of trying to understand what their house is worth wholesale. And maybe that operates as their plan B in the event that the house doesn't sell retail. You know, and that's the way Julie and I would position it when we sold real estate. We'd put a guarantee on it that if the house hadn't sold after however much amount of time, that we'd buy it for whatever percent we would agree to buy it for, which is traditionally like 83 or 84%. That's how we can make the math work. Um, and we did buy houses that way. Not a lot because most of them sold. But it was, at the end of the day, a really killer lead generator. That's right. Thus, what Zillow is also doing, you will be a seller lead. Right. And like when we'd go on listing appointments, we'd explain to the seller, well, this is our guaranteed home sale. And the seller almost always said, well, I don't need to do the guaranteed home sale and da 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 And this is what we'd say. Well, I understand that, Mr. Seller, but here's the thing. The person buying your house might have a house to sell. And if they have a house to sell and, and you know they're obviously worried whether their house will sell and they want to buy your house... Well, maybe they're considering your house and maybe they're considering another house. And so your house has a guaranteed home sale on it. So they're they're up, they're okay with buying either house, but with your house they know that they can put an offer on yours and after, you know, usually it was like 90 days, you Julie and I will agree to buy their house. So you can then actually appeal to more potential buyers who are also having houses to sell before they can move up or even move down. Uh, simply for the fact that you can use our guaranteed home sale. So that makes your house more appealing to most of the market. Now, I know I said a lot right there, but that is how we would sell it. And trust me when I tell you, as far as being powerful listing tool, that would be a, that's the home it's run. It's killer. And not all yeah. the time, not everybody, but that was a very powerful <laughs> listing tool. 
That is what they're going to do. They're just copying what everyone's been doing forever. Since the 90s. <laughs> yeah, since the 90s. So they're yeah. going so they're doing the iBuyer thing and then the iBuyer people the the you know leads that don't want to sell wholesale, those are then going to be tossed back to their agents and their agents obviously who who knows how effective they'll be. But that's how this this idea perpetuates and that's how they absolutely are going to get into the resale business. Do not listen for a second for them saying. And and here's here's the reason why. Because these guys are operating on tiny, tiny margins. Matter of fact, as you know from listening to this show, a lot of times on these flips, they're losing money on the iBuyer side. So if they can squeeze money, at, they have to squeeze money out of the transaction, right? The transactional cost of buying the houses, holding the houses, flipping the houses, those, that's, there's an art and a science to that. But you can pretty much spreadsheet that out. So if you look at it, maybe you can skimp here and skimp there. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to put the money into the house. You know, well, guess what? Here it is on the side of uh, you know the accountants and all these publicly traded companies, Zillow and Open Door, and you're saying, well, we're gonna, where are we going to find the money? Well, that's the reason they're opening up traditional real estate offices, because if you look at the expense side of doing these iBuyer transactions, and again, this is something that was on that podcast we listened to, it was, re- you know, what they were explaining was really fascinating. And I'd seen this before myself, but I love the way they explained it. So credit where credit is due. The largest portion of the money that goes on, like when they look at the the HUD, is, uh, there's that dated me, whatever it's called nowadays. <laughs> settlement right? statement. The settlement statement, thank you, from the uh, transaction on one of these iBuyer sites. The largest portion of the uh, of the, the, the expenses on the commission. So if you're looking to say, well, where the hell can we go about making it so we're not losing money on transactions anymore? Real estate commissions. That's what they're going to do. Thus, they opened up real estate brokerages. Thus, the real estate agents, they'll be working there as employees aren't going to get paid squat. You know, they'll some who knows, right? But that's what's going to happen, and that's how they're going to find the money. And Julie and I are theorizing, and I'm, we're the only ones saying this, but I can't see how it's not true, that these I buyers, what they're going to do is they're going to basically, well, so they make their listing agents employees. So now effectively, they've gotten rid of the seller side of the commission. That means that when they put their houses back for sale, they're obviously not having to endure a 6% commission with 3% or whatever going to the seller side. That's on their flips. Now, what if it's a resale listing? Are you telling me, listeners, that you really don't think they're going to start cutting the commission on the, on the listing side? You really don't think they're going to do that? Really? <laughs> of course they are. They're already showing you they are. Because yeah, of course they, they are. I mean, because they're going to try to get market share. Now, here's what they're going to do on the buyer side. Now, think, think it through here. Now, let's say, for example, they list a resale house. And maybe it's full commission. Maybe it's not. I'm guessing they're going to have all kinds of little, you know, <laughs> widgets and wadgets. widgets and wadgets, right? But on the buyer side, why would they just automatically pay the buyer side commission as an entitlement? Why would they just say, okay, well, you know, we went to the pain and suffering opening up a brokerage so we could skimp on the on the listing commissions. Why wouldn't they do it on the buyer commissions? Of course they will. What they're going to make, and this is what Julie and I again been reasoning, we've been telling you guys at the top of our voices sometimes. <laughs> why you need to focus on all your best energies on becoming a listing agent is that the buyer agent commissions are inevitably going to become a point of negotiation in a real estate transaction. So you, the buyer agent transaction, to be a buyer agent, it's mostly a experience in, what do you call it, Julie? You, uh, it's physical labor. There you go. Physical labor is working with buyers. Working with sellers is mental labor, okay? So the physical labor aspect does not require nearly as much skill and professionalism is being a powerful listing agent. Don't take take that offensively until you've been, done both at a high level. Um, you know, just curb your enthusiasm for your opinion that what I just said was wrong because I know some of you buyer agents treat it like a religion. 
But trust me when I tell you, these big tech companies are going to absolutely see the entitlement of you just getting 3% because you showed the house and your buyer bought it. They're not going to see that as something that's going to be on their, they're not going to just automatically pay it anymore. So you're going to have to negotiate or present to the buyer in such a way that they're going to want to pay your commission. Or you're going to have to figure out some other way to get your money out of the deal. Then you guys can see where this is going. So... And it's only going to get worse as they get more inventory because they're going to have what everybody wants. Well, ulti- too but, bad for you. But ulti- you know? yeah, but the, the the struggle will I think where they'll personally this is where they'll hit a wall. Okay, they're going to hit a wall in two places. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't think they're going to be very effective at uh, resell anything. I don't think they're going to be very good at resell listings mm-hmm. at all. I think that once they're going to get and these guys are going to absolutely it's going to be a. <laughs> It's going to be a brilliant thing to watch as Zillow and Open Door to see who can spend the most money trying to gobble market share. It's going to be <laughs> talk about going, buying business, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Quite it, literally, it, there's yeah. going to be billions and billions of because these guys are going to fight for market share, but they're really trying to fight to become the dominant brand in eye buying. Um, and I don't think there's going to be any. There's nobody else that's entering into it. I doubt it. Not not in a meaningful way. Maybe small regional players yeah, will. Not as big as them. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, so how does this, you know, Julie and I said, and here's our opinion, and I, you know, again, some of these are formed from listening to other people, but Zillow is going to be a dominant player. We think that Open Door is going to be a dominant player because now they have a unlimited amount of money effectively to build. We think that Open Door is going to start buying brokerages, but I honestly, and Rob said this, Rob Hahn said this, and I think it's true, the obvious target being Redfin. Um, and then after that, you're going to see EXP. And those are going to be the three dominant brands going forward. Now, here's the funny part about EXP. EXP has an iBuyer. Did you guys know that? <laughs> Agents working for uh, EXP actually have their own buy- iBuyer. So all the unique selling propositions that Zillow and Open Door has, being able to essentially you know, offer the the ability to sell your house and you know the whole everything that they can say an EXP agent can say it as well okay and then all the other USPs that uh, these tech companies will be offering to consumers Glenn has already built baked in to EXP uh, to EXP for the sake of keeping agents at the front and center of real estate transactions I thought that was really fascinating absolutely I mean what a disadvantage you would be if you didn't have access to that tool with the onset of Zillow and Open Door. You're right. going to have those conversations with sellers. The question is, will you get the lead in the first place and how will you handle it versus, you know, being forced to say, well, we don't have that program. So EXP agents in particular, those of you who are interested in becoming EXP agents, by the way, if you're interested in becoming an EXP agent and you want to join Julie and I's EXP uh, team, yes, we are EXP agents. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206 and we'll get the party started. But here's, here's what I really honestly bottom line think. If you are with a brokerage right now that has not shown an impetus to build or has an iBuyer platform, you are going to be at a shockingly huge disadvantage going forward. Not only, it's not because all of your potential sellers won't be um, you know coming your way anyway. It's just that you're going to have to compete for mind space with the iBuyer options. And so it's entirely possible that that, you know, the, you're aunt who would love to list the house with you 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 know known her forever and you know it's your aunt after all and of course you're going to get this listing and you just you don't even have to think twice about it she's your favorite aunt you're her favorite niece or whatever you are but then the aunt you know checks out a new listing over on uh zillow and then she clicks a little innocuous button to try to get an idea of what her house is worth and all of a sudden basically you know the fancy algorithms and all the witchcraft and alchemy spit out an offer for her 
And now she's essentially thinking to herself, I could just basically sell my house as is, walk away, not have to deal with the positioning of it, the photography, Showings. The, the removing all my dishes from the wall yeah. and, you know, all the, right. <laughs> the hassle factor, the right? hassle factor, right? I'm willing to pay a convenience fee. And now you who thought you had that listing in the bag are now having to compete with this giant tech company and you're going to lose. And that's what's going to happen. People are naturally going to migrate towards the things that ultimately offer the most convenience. Now, let's just say she doesn't want to wholesale the house. She still wants to retail the house, but you're still having to compete now with the agent that has been soliciting her from, let's say, for example, Zillow Homes um, for that listing for the, you know, because when she clicked in the system and she asked for the offer and she said, I don't want the offer, well, they're still going to treat that as a resale listing, and then they're still going to pursue her as a potential seller. So you guys see how what this the can of worms all this opens up. Um, so that's the reason. If you're not uh, right now, if your brokerage is not aggressively in the iBuyer space, or even worse, if they're still on the fringe and they're saying iBuyers won't go anywhere, they're, they're in losing, denial. They're in denial, right? Yeah. Run away from that situation because they're not going to last. What if you're... you can't say, ask about my instant offer, that's right. you are in the wrong place. You are. That's right. And and it's not because we say so. It's not because of anything except the market conditions and what's happening with Zillow and Open Door. And for those of you that live in Atlanta, Tucson, and Phoenix, this is sailing it to you right now today. Right. Because they're already there. They're already rolling it out. So, yeah, if you can't say, ask about my instant offer, that doesn't mean, let me clarify something, okay, because mm -hmm. I know that there's some confusion on this. That doesn't mean that you personally are sending them an offer. No. Okay? That means that you are working at a company, you are with a brokerage who has a pool of investors who would look at an well, offer. But that's not easy. That's Basically. the way you, you and I used to do it, yeah. right? We had a little Rolodex of investors. And when we get sure. a house that we didn't want to buy, that they might want to buy, we'd send out one email. Whoever spoke up first and said, I'll buy it. That was yeah. our instant yeah, offers program. That yeah. was it. But the way that uh, EXP's done it is they've gotten some institutional investors bigger together. Guys. Bigger Right. Yeah. They're, they're at scale. And they're always looking for bigger institutional investors. And there's tons of hedge funds that are looking to get into this business strictly from the um, operational side, not from the sales and marketing side. And so that's what EXP's done. That's how they have built their own iBuyer. Yeah, so it's not you personally. Don't freak right. out and think that you're going to put yourself on the line. It's backed by institutional investors just like Zillow and OfferPad. You don't want to have – you do not want to be in the marketplace in 2021 forward without having a – sound uh, without being, frankly, being able to offer everything that the consumers are going to be looking for. And the first thing I think they're going to be looking for is they're going to be looking for the easy button. Everybody does. And if you guys, we can struggle with this forever because it's like, you know, when I try to explain this to coaching clients, they always say, well, I, it, what's most important to most agents is the, you know, revenue, the net profit from the sale of the property. You know, that's what they'll say. I would never wholesale my house. I would never, you know, that's how agents think. They think that, like if you think that the seller's most, uh, the highest, most important thing to the seller is their net from the sale of the transaction, you just haven't listed enough properties to know that's never the case. Very, very rarely the case is the seller most. Um, be, it, that's not their they highest priority. They have to make enough on the sale to accomplish their goal. That doesn't necessarily mean super high extra retail, right? Right. So I, I what was my thought? Sorry, I'll circle back to something about this. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, oh, I know what it was. Okay. So how much inventory is missing from the market right now because of COVID? Because sellers don't want people in their house. They don't want the hassle of it. They don't want appraisers and inspectors and showings and agents and random people going through their house. I wonder 
I mean, it does seem like the perfect scenario for a convenience fee type of transaction to really get some legs. Well, And that interview you listened to last night, they were talking about that, that what's the average 5 million houses or so sell yeah. per year. And maybe, you know, maybe this creates another 2 million worth of homes. And that's where I thought for was sale. Really... I thought that was a very interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that either. I thought that was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and they were talking about, um, you know, this could be the new way is to do it as a convenience fee. As long as you're netting well, enough to accomplish your goal, maybe you move more often. So the the theory was, and this makes sense, is that so right now there's something a little uh, something going on in the uh, the data that no one can quite understand, and it doesn't surprise me. And Julie and I again, I hate praising ourselves, but if we don't do it, nobody else will. <laughs> we told you guys back um, that the you know back in the beginning of this year, and then with the the COVID epidemic, we or pandemic rather, rather we told you guys there'd be more people getting real estate licenses. And the reason is, is every time there's an increase in unemployment, traditionally there's been more people looking to get real estate licenses so they can start making money to you know fill up the lost income gap. That's always happened. But what happened during this great boom that basically the pandemic sort of put a temporary pause on was there was also a huge spike in people getting real estate licenses. So traditionally, when people couldn't get a job, they got a license and they tried to sell real estate. And when they could get a job, they got out of real estate and they basically went back to their nine to five. Well, something's changed. So now what we're seeing is we're seeing people get real estate licenses and getting into real estate just because they want to be into real estate. So having a real estate license right now, the nature of being a realtor has completely changed. So what we see it in our, our um, you know, our coaching, um, our, the yes. clients, the agents that are younger people, millennials, we're seeing tons and tons of people that are using this as maybe their second careers, but mostly their first careers, 20s and 30s. And they're coming at this because they have grown up in a time where mostly the economy has been crap. I mean, a lot of these guys remember the housing crash, and now we're in this other thing. And these millennials, a lot of the millennials and the, and the Generation Zs now, they, are, they have gotten used to essentially not being secure thinking in the idea of traditional employment. So for them, being self-employed is actually going to provide more, more, more emotional security than working for somebody. You know, you're absolutely right about that. I was just mentally going through my list of elite coaching clients. I, almost all of them have their kids who are either recently out of college or have been out for a little bit, you know, doing different jobs, getting their real estate license right now. I have had almost all of them have that, that conversation. But Jules, you and I, when we mm -hmm. basically came out of college, mm -hmm. we were in, the economy was in a recession after the tech bubble yep. burst, right? And same thing, though you and I were not on the you know gainful employment path. No, the reality of it was is that we're entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But of course, we gravitated towards real estate because the real estate is the only industry on planet Earth that you can actually get into the business for less than a thousand dollars, basically, to get your license and yeah. whatnot. And then you can have tens of millions of dollars in inventory in the form of listings that you don't have to pay anything for. And you can control your own destiny. You can right. control how much money you make. Nobody's telling you, oh, I'm sorry, this job doesn't pay that much. Or you're not, you can't get, well, you can fire yourself. Yes. You can become, as we say, listless and not or any self listing. Self-unemployed. Right, self-unemployed. But that's the reason real estate, now, so, so again, the number of people getting into real estate is increasing so that's breaking all the projections as far as what would happen if the economy got worse, what would happen if the economy got better. It's increasing. So you're seeing an increasing number of agents joining the boards of the real, of realtors and whatnot, increasing number of agents. And I bet you, and I don't know, I don't have statistics outside of NAR, but I bet you anything that's a global phenomenon. There's no way it's not. No, I think you're, well, I mean, look at how many countries are listening to our podcast. Oh, that's true. That, that is, tells you that it's a global phenomenon. You know what? Phenomenon. I had just put that, wow. 
Mrs. Harris just came up with something. You know that. Might, As Pooh says, think, think. think. <laughs> that might be why we have listeners in fifty-four be. different countries now. That could, could be why. Be. I don't know. Yeah. It's a thing. Now, well, you know, and, re- and, and being in real estate too has become glamorized because you know all these HGTVs and oh, Bravos sure, Bravo. and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and we have had all those guys and gals on our podcast, and some of them coaching clients. And I'll tell you an interesting side note: most of the people that you guys see on TV selling real estate, basically, they didn't sell real estate prior to being on TV. Being on TV was basically a professional acting role. And then they got their licenses because that's what the job required. But I digress. <laughs> so here's the other. Know. Fact. But here's the other thing that's fun about all this is that um, you're going to, hey, Jules, okay. the other thing that's very interesting about all this is you're going to have a increase hypothetically, and this is Rob Hahn's point, again, not Tim and Julie, we don't take other people's credit, but not only are you seeing an increase in the number of agents, but because of the um, evolution of these iBuyer programs through what we think will be a Redfin open door combo through Zillow and through eXp, and this is what Julie was saying. The sales velocity will actually increase. And I thought that was fascinating. And that's what she was saying. And it's very logical. I mean, I, I don't really every see seven to nine, every, yeah. Traditionally, people move every seven to nine years. And so why don't they move sooner? Julie threw out the pandemic as an excuse. It makes total sense. But how about just the sheer hassle of it? I mean, and the expense and the you know the whole the whole thing. Right. It, it's an event. It's a major event in your life you have to sign up for. It. So look, here's, here's a parallel, mm-hmm. okay? Boy, we're doing good for Sunday, dude. we're doing good all right here's a parallel Uh when we were growing up and granted we're not spring chickens but when we were growing up you would not go through expensive consumer items as fast for sure and i'll lean back on cars because that's what i know right Mm -hmm. so if you look at for example people would buy remember when you know your dad would get a car i mean i remember your dad would get Mm -hmm. like a new nissan wherever the hell it was back Mm -hmm. in the 80s sure right and it would be whoa let's go look at the new nissan whatever it is you know, and then that thing would stick around for four, five, six, seven years, drive the wheels off it, then you get another one. Mm-hmm. But people don't operate that way anymore. No. They go in and out of cars 24 months, sometimes 12 sure, months, to, to the point, go, mm-hmm. how about this? You didn't know this one. What? Porsche now has a program mm-hmm. where you can, um, Colette in Atlanta is doing this, where you can effectively pay a monthly fee. It's like uh, $800 or thousand mm-hmm. dollars and you can change out cars as often as you want really so you don't even That's own awesome. the car and that includes insurance so you pay a monthly fee and basically they uh you could drive a whatever for you know a week or two and maybe you have cool. customers coming in and you need to get a big car maybe you have no customers coming in you want to drive to the country so you want to get a little sports car That's a great program. and you can trade them out you're paying a monthly fee but here's the point it's consumer behavior has changed not only has um like, for example, people are trading out cars more often at the same point where cars have become uh, incredibly reliable and essentially they're going to be made, they're being designed to last longer. People are going through them faster because the ability to trade in and out of them has changed. Become more Easy. convenient. Convenient, yes. And as a result of that, what's happened is the automotive manufacturers are coming out with new iterations of their cars faster because they know so many people are now um, sort of institutionalized mm-hmm. into trading in and trading up and whatever, whatever, a lot quicker. Makes sense. And so, and guys, that's the same thing. You can assume, like, I mean, CarMax, for example, that was a great example of what people are willing to, you know, that's a convenience fee. You go, you take your car CarMax, 
They give you a wholesale offer. They'll beat anybody else's wholesale offer. You then basically can, you know, there goes the car, you're done. And then you can move on with life versus having to curbstone it or sell it yourself. Well, effectively, that is the model that you're going to start seeing consumers at least explore. Do you think for every car owner that drives onto a CarMax that they take the wholesale offer? No, of course not. But that's going to, so what happens? They just doesn't, it's not to say that they don't end up um, buying a used car there or something else that's still a customer or at least access to a customer they wouldn't have had before. So this all circles back in my mind to why you have to be seriously considering moving to eXp because it's already where the ball is going to be. It's what the automobile manufacturers were saying about Tesla. It's a, and it's the parallel is hilarious because eXp was started effectively, you know, you know, more than 10 years ago, 2009. But when you look at it, they have all that advantage of the automobile manufacturers that have just basically realized electrification is the way to go. And they're going to now have to play catch up and they never will. They'll never, ever catch up. They'll always be at a disadvantage. They'll always be 10 years behind, maybe even further, depending on how quicker uh, Tesla moves, which generally speaking, once you have an advantage like that, assuming you don't just, like we were joking earlier, go to Mars, you have that advantage forever. And so EXP as a brokerage has that advantage, and they're going to have that advantage forever. It's not just about agent count. It, that, that's the traditional way of looking at it. Like brokerages would pound their chest, we have this many agents, we have that many agents. And certainly it's amazing to see how many agents are joining EXP, but that's not the reason that they are winning and are going to win even bigger. It's because, guys, listen to, please listen to what I'm saying. They are, EXP is a tech company. EXP will eventually be valued as a tech company. When EXP is valued at a tech company like Opendoor and like Zillow, which is inevitable because Glenn is definitely steering the ship that direction, you're going to see valuations that are similar to these tech companies that are in real estate space. Right now, we're at real EXP is a real estate company that has a tech backbone. But as soon as that pivots in the mind of investors, and then EXP has essentially that much market share, that much market capital, you're going to see the world in real estate forever pivot. Well, look at what the stock's done without that story. Imagine when that starts to take. I know. It's it's quadrupled or tripled this year. Yeah. It's incredible. It is. I mean, so that's what I was thinking about, honestly, prior to the podcast. Yeah. Well, lots of things going on. So yeah. I mean, if you're not paying attention to that, you're going to get left in the dust. Yeah. It's just... That's why we talk about these things on the podcast. There, you know, there are no exceptions either. You can say, well, the iBuyers will never affect me and it really, really upper ends. And I think that's true. If you're selling really, really expensive sure. stuff, the iBuyers will never be wanting to roll the dice on a $20 million house. No, Not I mean, happen. in fact, if you look at like uh, their Q&A, you know, or FAQs rather on their websites, they, they do have some exclusions like... They don't like manufactured homes and farms sure. and and over a certain price, they are not going to do an offer. So that's right. all true. And I think the agent that's just dabbling and really only needs to sell, you know, four or five houses a year and pay for their vacations, they probably won't, you know, suffer from this. But you never know. They, you know, that's the saddest thing that we hear in coaching is when an agent like that assumes that their business is solid because they knew somebody or because they sold them all the right. house. And then something like this is a disruptor and you get surprised and then you have to play catch up. I don't like that. Well, but yeah, what Julie is saying is definitely true. The, the rate of change, and we've been talking about this on our podcast every single day, the rate of change now for virtually everything, especially in the real estate space, is um, it's, it, things are moving faster than I've ever experienced before. All the things, not all the things, but most of the things that people have been talking about might eventually happen someday in real estate, they all basically are happening now. And it's because of COVID. 
<laughs> which is yeah. crazy. It's because the the mental emotional ties to you know all the traditional things that have kept the system the same. They've all they're all in flux. They're all you know look. Exp is making a profit. Exp is the, as a company is adding tens of thousands of agents. Exp has ten years of advantage on the marketplace as far as doing what obviously is going to be the next evolution in real estate brokerages. There is no chance that anybody's going to catch up. It's just in this, they're in the same position as Tesla is. And so, look, guys, you have to open your minds to the idea that if you want to be in this real estate business, look, there's a lot of brokerages out there that are great brokerages. But brokerages, you guys got to be, you know, if you're a broker and you're listening to Julie and I, as a lot of you guys, you know, podcast list, we have tens of thousands of you that listen to us every day in 54 different countries. Have an open mind to what we're saying. You can move your brokerage to EXP. You can be, for example, you know, Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate brokered by EXP. You don't have to give up your brand. You don't have to give up your name. You don't have to give up all the, you know, everything that maybe you and your your family before you have have created in your local marketplace. We EXP wants you to keep that. We EXP that by wants, itself is an innovative thought in our space. Yeah, exactly. It's not a franchise. EXP wants you to keep your local brand. EXP wants you just basically to, uh, it'll be Tim and Julie Harris brokered by EXP. That's it. That's the whole thing. It, your sign is not just going to disappear and all your family's work is not just going to basically, you know, your logo, poop. your look, your feel, you know, everything, everything. you've worked on is, is stays. That doesn't just vaporize and, right. you know, get consumed like some brokerage wants you to do. Exactly. You're still you. Right. And you the know. strong, the reason, and here's another little interesting thing, and then we should talk about some funny stuff. Okay. The reason is uh, that ultimately that real estate commissions are still being paid. And the reason that they'll always be a real estate agent part of the transaction and the reason that a vast majority of the real estate agents out there would never work for Zillow or Open Door, okay? The best ones never would. And here's the reason why. Our human brains are wired to want an expert when we're making a difficult decision, right? They, we are all wired to want to seek the advice of the gray-haired gorilla who's going to give us, you know, the best advice. You know what I'm saying? The and Council like, of Elders. The Council of Elders, yes. right? I mean, it, it's, it's literally baked into our DNA that when you have a big decision to make, you have to go to an authoritative figure that's going to help you guide you through the thing and say it's going to be okay. Okay, that is what we all do. And furthermore, a real estate agent who is not just obviously good at counseling people, but also actually good at transacting and negotiating, you really think these tech companies are ever going to replace that for a vast majority of consumers out there? Hell no, never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. And so the real estate industry is proven to be, um, what would you call it, pandemic resilient, Yes. But it's also proven to be one of the few, and this is not, this is kind of sad, but true. One of the few, if only, true bright, spot, bright, bright spots through the pandemic. Real estate's one of the only sectors, believe it or not, that actually got better. It got That's better amazing. almost because of the pandemic. It increased transactional, you know, you're going to see all these huge migrational shifts away from the cities, all these things we talked about in our podcast. Though all those trends are just going to continue. You're going to see more people get into real estate. You're going to see more members of the local boards and MLSs. You're going to see more people joining National Association of Realtors. You're going to see more real estate transactions because the sales velocity is going to increase because the expectations, if you know, just the number of people that will wholesale their houses, that's going to increase the number of transactions that are out there. But the other thing that's going to change, and this is what, in case we made our point poorly before, is the expectation of how long you're going to live in your house is going to change, right? Even if you aren't wholesale selling your house, 
the the sort of social norm of staying in a house seven to nine years will change to the point where it's going to be normal for you to transact, even if it's through traditional means, even if it's not wholesaling your house, transact faster. So you're going to see people going through these normal, like remember when I was saying cars, people used to own them for a long time and now they own them for a very short period of time. It's not because the cars are garbage and they break. It's just because it's now normal and acceptable for people to move up constantly. Well, just like it's normal and acceptable to do your work from home exactly. anywhere you feel like, right? So exactly. that gives you freedom. The the advent of, you know, virtual school gives you more freedom. Uh, you know, and don't forget super low interest rates. So it really is kind of the perfect storm. We were talking to um Oh gosh, I can't say who. <laughs> um, so I know who you mean. yeah, but I'm not going to say. No. So we're we're talking to somebody who is in in the financial industry, and what they're going to do, the biggest banks, what they're going to start doing is have a constant pre-approval. So they have your incredible, they have your whole profile. But right now, if you know Julie wanted to go borrow money to buy a rental property, because I sure as hell will not go through that process. <laughs> that, that falls into the, that falls into the Julie realm of things. If we wanted to borrow money to buy a property. Um, the she would have to go through the exact same arduous process as somebody buying, a, you know, even worse because we have a lot of assets. It is horrible. And why does it have to be that bad? So what you're going to see, in our opinion, is not only all the things happening faster with regards to uh, just everything we just described, but you're also going to see the mortgage process is going to completely evolve to the point where the big banks, you're always going to have a, a basically a standing a pre-approval, even if you didn't apply for it. So you're going to, if you're banking through Wells Fargo or Bank of America, or, you know, we're down here in Puerto Rico, you know, Banco de Popular, did I say it right? Banco Popular. Banco Popular. Okay. So they're going to basically, you're going to log in and they're going to say, you have a standing pre-approval for X amount of dollars because we know what you make. We know where you work. We know what your credit is. We know every single freaking thing about you. Okay. (laughs) We know everything about you. And um, we know what your pay stubs are because we see you depositing them. We know what your assets are. We know everything. So if you would like to go out and buy a house, the maximum mortgage amount that is always standing here ready for you to see is that any opportunity is going to be is going to be this. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? There's already lenders doing this. You know? Right. Um, and I see that because their lender letter, you know, we talk about the ultimate addendum forcing underwriting to happen. They're putting it's something like guaranteed, uh, guaranteed underwriting finished or something like right. that. There's some lenders that are doing but that. But someone had to still apply. But yes, the, the difference true. is you're yeah. describing someone yeah. having to go through the funnel. But it's part of the process of, right. of streamlining that constant pre-approval. But that's what's going to happen yeah. next, and that probably will happen. It could be happening. Hell, it probably will happen from uh, EXP, from Open Door, maybe Open Door Redfin. It could happen from Zillow. Sure. It could happen because they're going to have so much flipping market cap that they're going to be able to even maybe start their own mortgage entities where they're standing. You guys understand. And they've the shown they're willing to put up with some risk. I mean, they're buying houses and right. losing them, losing money when they flip. So, you know. That's how things progress. I read, sorry to keep using cars as an analogy, guys. But <laughs> You're in the again, car zone because there's I'm, an F1 race today. Yeah, an F1 in <laughs> Sochi. Unfortunately, I knew who already won, you know, because he always wins. <laughs> Boring. Boring. Yeah, oh, well. Hamilton. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so if you're, most people, here's an interesting statistic. They walk into a car lot with no intention to buying a car. Something like 80% of the time, they were just, you know, kicking tires or wanted to see some new pretty, pretty shiny, shiny thing. And then they end up buying something. So now, why is that? Think about that behavior. How often do people buy houses when they just stumble across? Someone's out walking around, you know, through comes into an open house. 
they would love to buy the house, but then they'll check the mental, emotional, and financial checklist gets triggered in their minds of all the crap they have to do. It is insane. And then they're going like, nope, I'm good. I'm staying put. Now, what if all that was gone like it is when you walk into a car lot? What if basically you can, you know, you're in walking in your neighborhood, neighbor's house is for sale. You walk into it. You know you have the standing mortgage ready to go. You know how you have the ability to execute on a quick sale of your house. What if all the hassle factors of of buying and selling real estate are at least alleviated by 75-80%? You all should be incredibly excited because that will create more real estate transactions. It'll create more sales velocity, which will, even if commissions go down, create more opportunity for more agents to make money. So the question is, is, and again, I was listening to Rob talk about this and I thought about it. What types of people will be making money? I don't think that the big sort of well-organized team concept will, I don't think they're necessarily going to have any inherent advantage whatsoever in a marketplace like what we're describing, simply for the fact that the sales velocity will be so abundant that you're not necessarily going to have to be part of a team in order to basically grab your piece. Transactional uh, Transactions are harder to get right now because more people, it's just the very checklist that you'd have to go through. And if someone's going to go through that checklist of all the things they have to do, and you're just a new practitioner with no previous experience, you're going to gravitate towards somebody that basically has a proven track record, aka a big team, right? I mean, we dominated in our markets when Julie and I sold real estate and we had a team. Now, our team was you know, definitely not a big, um, you know, we focused on listings. That's where always our focus was because we wanted to maintain high margins. We're not anti-team. We're anti-unprofitable team. Unprofitable teams for some reason become acceptable. That's not acceptable in the halls of you know Harris Rules coaching, just for the record though. So just keep that clear. We're not anti-team. We're anti-unprofitable team. But in the future, if the whole, the owner, essentially the um, uh, the work part of the transaction has been alleviated because the process is simpler then the average agent will have all the inherent advantages that they would working at a team. In other words, the transaction coordination is going to be something of a, a lot less burdens. It's going to be more streamlined. I, I would even say that closings will happen faster, tighter together. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you'll be able to handle more volume, not less, because of the streamlining of the process. Right. So a consumer or seller in particular might be more attracted to an organized team because they've gone through the process before and they know it sucks. And they know all the hassles it takes, so they might as well go with you know Tim and Julie because they have transaction coordinators and listing specialists, and they have people that can take care of all their intricate needs. And they've gone, you know, they sold two or three houses before. They know what a nightmare is going to be, and how can one agent ever do the job? Right? That's the pitch, individual agent versus. Now, in the future, and by future I mean next year. If you have essentially that individual practitioner who just got their license, who's going to have um, essentially the uh, being able to leverage technology like what EXP offers. And there's no inherent advantage to that consumer to go with a big team versus the individual agent if they're offering essentially the same thing. You're going to see another big market shift away from the trend from these big teams. And that's another thing you guys all have to be very, very conscious of is just because something's worked in the past, it's pretty much guaranteed not to work in the future. And again, this is all incredibly exciting to Julie and I. It's a, and, and look, it's incredibly. It should be incredibly exciting to you because it opens up so many different opportunities for you to reinvent yourself. There was a lot of inherent good about the way thing was the real estate's been done for the past thirty years, but also in a huge amount of inefficiency. Um, you know, people always talk about consumer experience and how that was sort of arduous. How about the real estate agents' experience? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like, it has gotten worse. I'd have it has to definitely say. gotten worse. I mean, just the, I always laugh because I have an actual copy of my uh, grandparents' first real estate contract, two pages long. 
A lot of it was handwritten, you know, and compare that to the epic amount of paperwork. And you know what else I think has muddied the waters is, you know, nobody reads DocuSign. They no. just scan through. And then when something blows up on a deal, you got to go into your forensics and try and put it back together. There's just so many things that have gotten overcomplicated. I really feel, as you said, very excited about the pendulum swinging the other way. Right. Well, if I were a big tech company and I had access to public markets where I could basically open my own mortgage company and I didn't have the intent of selling those mortgages so I didn't have to abide by federal lending standards, wouldn't that give me a huge sure. advantage? Huge. I basically became a hard money lender for the inventory that's in my brokerage. Wouldn't yeah. that be a natural progression Absolutely. to smooth out the process and, and yeah. give you an unfair advantage in the marketplace? And of course, you'll have insurance and appraisal and title and all the rest under the, the same umbrella. Yeah. Right. So guys, listen to what your coach or what maybe your future coaches are telling you. This is definitely the direction that the world is going and Thank God it is because it's going to create more opportunities for more people. It does not mean if you're an old grizzled veteran like my wife and I, it doesn't mean that you're going to become just instantly obsolete. You're not a VHS tape. You're not somebody who's just going to be a, you know, a dinosaur and a big meteor is going to take you out if that actually happened. The reality of it is, is that you can stay relevant in real estate as long as you're not so dug in believing that everything's going to stay the same. I know this is a pitch. I know some of you get squirmy when I say this, but listen, we want to talk with you about you joining our eXp family. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. All right, now we have crazy news for you. I have to I have to show you a picture, okay? okay. So just hang on. Do Talk to them about the, uh, I think it was from Amazon, the drone surveillance thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was cool. Well, I so, this so, so Julie's got, she's like been giddy for like last two or three days. <laughs> Because she's been saving all these really bizarre news stories, and she wouldn't tell me about any of them, right? So she's got some, what she insists are going to be some truly bizarre Sunday show only type stories that she's going to share with us. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to what she peeled out. But I'll share one that's not so bizarre, but I thought it was awesome. So Amazon uh, is, has come out with, now think about this, guys. They've come out with, obviously they own Ring. So Amazon bought Ring, and then you guys know what Ring is, hopefully. If not, it started as an electronic doorbell with a camera in it, and now basically it's a plug-and-play whole house security system. Well, get this. They now have a drone, and they're going to start selling this next year. This little tiny drone that's got a camera on it, and if any of the ring sensors around your house pick up anything that sounds like any noise or whatnot, well, this little drone is then launched with this little camera to go to wherever the noise happened and then look to see if there's any and videotape whatever's going on in that room. But you could also set this drone to be like your night watchman and fly around your house. I have no idea how much noise it makes, so that obviously was the first question. But to fly around your house and videotape everything in your house. Now, I was just listening I was thinking about how cool that is, the concept of it. But then you have to think. Can you imagine how much fun cats are going to have at night? Oh, my gosh. When that damn thing's it's flying around. It's the best around? cat toy ever. It's the best. Well, that's how the cats will see it. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to see. Hilarious. The... And it'll all be filmed. I mean, talk yeah, about cat videos. It's going to go crazy. <laughs> you're going to see the funniest <laughs> things ever come from night surveillance. And you're probably, I mean, just, look, let's just be honest. A lot of things that happen in the middle of the night, assuming no one's breaking into your house, I sure as heck don't want to see out of videotape. You know, <laughs> right? but can you imagine how much fun cats are going to have? Or and even... will the drone be be distracted by things like fish swimming in a fish tank and just well, go look at them? Who knows you how know? sensitive it is. It's going to be interesting. Well, there will be lots of faults in the technology, I'm which sure. will make it really hilarious. Yes. But like, the you know, the teenager that swears that they're home by 9 o'clock oh, yeah, and turns out they're sleep My dad would have loved it. Oh, your dad would have loved it. <laughs> 
I, I'm surprised your dad hadn't built one to follow us I, I around. Think maybe the inventor, for all we know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, so anyway, that's coming so, out next year. Yes. All right. In stranger news, if you're somebody that buys prepackaged salads, beware. Frogs, toads, lizards, and bats have been found in bagged salads recently. And if you look at this picture, Tim. Don't pull too hard, so, Jules. Look at that. See that little froggy? Many times still alive. Okay, so beware of that. I Hold on. That Are you sure? Now, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Yep. Are you sure the frog was not an ingredient in the salad? <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah, I mean, what's to say that that's <laughs> not bats, some... I don't know. I don't well, know. Well, I mean... But come on, we got so how the hell are the frogs and the bats getting into prepackaged salads? Well, I mean, you're you're you know crunching up lettuce and vegetables and you're harvesting that and throwing it in a bag. Sometimes frogs are you know I guess. Huh? You'd think they'd have technology now to maybe you know anyway. Anyway, in other news, here's (laughs) something that I think anybody in real estate should know. Some of these little fun facts and tidbits, right? So why are all Swedish cottages painted red? And their red is not just normal red. It's like a really bright, vibrant red. Also related to this is why are barns in the U.S. oftentimes painted red with white trim? No idea. Okay, so there's an iconic pigment that is this red. It's actually called Falu Red, and it comes from a, uh, an iron mine that's been around since like 1570. It's crazy. Um, Okay, so fallow red, I'm sorry, I didn't, uh, it's copper mine. Fallow red comes from the Fallon uh, copper mine in central Sweden that dates back to the 9th century. Okay, so Sweden for a long time was a great world power. And uh, they paid for everything from this copper mine. This was like this epic, you know. Copper was their thing. Copper was their thing. That's what funded all of their, um, you know, taking over their countries and their expeditions and all this. Uh, until it ran out and and they had to innovate they said all right well if that's not working what can we use this epic mine that's been around since the ninth century for well it turns out that copper has a byproduct that is basically rust and they can grind that up with flour and other like normal ingredients and turn it into this paint well that paint when it uh, dries and is heated makes these brilliant reds okay and in addition to that it also has a mold killing characteristic. Fascinating. Um, it has like a resin, but it still allows the wood to breathe. So scaling your idea forward. So mm-hmm. in the, when the Swedish folks, uh, you said Sweden, right? Yep. So when they were coming over to the United States. That's where we got our red barns. That's where we got our red barns, even though the red barns here were painted with red paint. Yeah. And in fact, it, it goes beyond that too. That, that red in Sweden was actually a status symbol because they were jealous of the Danes, the Denmark, another world power at the time, because they had just come out with red bricks, and <laughs> they, the uh, the Swedes didn't have the brick-making technology, so they used the red paint instead to emulate. It was a status symbol, just That's like hilarious. purple is for the royal family, you know. Yeah. So let's see what else we have. All right. In weird travel news. Jules, don't pull on this. <laughs> Sorry. Can you move it over a little bit? Uh, um, maybe. In strange travel news, there is a, shall we say, club known as the Flat Earthers. Okay. okay. Now, hold on, Julie. These We're are gonna... people who actually believe. Now, hold on. Yeah. You're going to bring up the royal, the, the, just be careful. Not that we're Flat Earthers, but I'm telling you these Flat Earthers, that's yeah. a religion to them. Oh, yeah. So tread lightly. <laughs> no, they absolutely believe that NASA has put forth a hoax that the world is round and actually a globe. Well, organizers of an annual conference that brings, brings together people who believe the Earth is flat are planning a cruise 
to the purported edge <laughs> of the planet. They're looking for the ice wall that is holding back the oceans. Oh, I see the picture. Yeah. So imagine a Frisbee, and that's what it looks like, and the very edge of the Frisbee is this bright white ring, and that's the supposed ice wall. So what you're saying yes. is these guys have decided to, well, I mean, the cruise ships aren't being used much now anyway. So they're going to throw a bunch of these. Well. They're going to throw these flat earthers on a cruise ship, and they're going to go find the edge of uh, the flat Earth, basically. Yes. Now the joke about this is that how are they doing this whole cruise? Well, they're using a network of dozens of satellites orbiting thousands of miles above the Earth, which are based on the fact that the Earth is indeed curved, and that if that weren't true, they would only need three satellites. So their logic is just a little flawed. They don't say what's going to happen if and when they find the edge. So. Well, so let's assume that they get to that there's a flat Earth, and let's assume that they're in their cruise ship and they're cruising along, and and, and then they're at the very edge. I'm unclear, assuming that uh, the I mean, what's to prevent them from just sailing off? I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not big, sure they've thought about. I guess this. the big ice wall is going to have to be pretty Apparently. substantial. But then you there have was to, the whole Titanic thing and the ice and. That's yeah, what I was getting to. And I was also thinking in terms of, well, what if this whole global warming thing's true, right? Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> could just again, wrong. not being political here, do not email no. us about whether global yeah. warming is or isn't. But so so let's say it is, yeah. and they get there, and this big, you know, Frisbee ice wall is not necessarily where they thought it would be, and they're in this cruise ship. That doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. And, and like, how travel-starved do you have to be to go on that cruise? Well, I don't okay, know. no, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to be honest here. What? If you had the opportunity to go... <laughs> And the cruise ship was coronavirus free. Do know. not tell me. Just from you, a people watching standpoint, exactly. it might be interesting. Imagine the podcasts yeah, we could do living well, amongst the flat earthers for like a week. I know. It'd make real estate like really seem pretty advanced. To me. So this know. is the reason yeah. I wanted you to be careful yeah. because I guarantee you half of our listeners are flat earthers. It could be. It could be. Okay. I take it back. Erase, erase. All right. Okay. So delete, delete. in other travel news, sinkhole opens near the Pantheon revealing a 2000 year old Roman paving stones. Now I thought this was interesting for us because if you look at this picture, we went to the Pantheon and right here is that coffee shop. Oh, I remember. Where we had that awesome Gr- Granitas. Granitas, Granitas yeah. which is basically uh, it's a like, sugar it's bomb like with a coffee. slushy of espresso and sugar. It was like the best ever. It's a sugar bomb with coffee. So, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's underneath there, all those old pavers. That was just kind of an That aside. is cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty neat. Okay. Now, <laughs> all right. So I won't go into the whole story here, but I have now finally perhaps solved the mystery of where... A particular pair of shoes went. This is a long story. No, I'll make it short. So you and I went on a listing once. You you can tell the story. I'll tell the story, and then I'll I'll toss it to you, because I have a feeling you'll give them too much detail. That's fine. Make it short. All right. So we we go on a listing appointment, and, uh, you know, Julie and I would occasionally go on some of these together. And so we walked, uh, it was a normal house, nothing special, been a great little listing, whole thing. So this lady was living with her uh, mom, and her mom had dementia. Very sad, all of that. And then all the shoes for the house were stacked outside the front door. So Julie and I, in, when it was appropriate, for example, when we walked into a listing and we saw the sellers weren't wearing their shoes, well, we were going to respect their environment, right? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Mm-hmm. So we would always take our shoes off. So before going to the house, we, we took our shoes off. And, you know, we put them right beside all the family's shoes that were sitting on the front porch. We went on our listing appointment. Well, remember, I also complimented, she had a pair of like, shiny blue shoes that I thought were pretty. And I, I complimented her shoes on the way in. That's okay. where the problem began. That's where the problem began. All right, you pick it up from there. Okay. So after the appointment, and for whatever reason, they weren't ready yet. And, you know, we were following up and stuff. But 
eventually the the mom kept calling me saying where are my shoes i know you have my shoes but we didn't know who it was no it was like random voicemail and this went on for like two months it's just this creepy cryptic voice that would show up on voicemails you have my shoes where are my shoes and happened forever forever and it got to be creepier and creeper to the point where i think that i i finally made it stop by saying I was going to, uh, based on the phone number, have a cease and desist or something because it was well, really creepy. We out. ended up calling the daughter and actually telling her that yeah. her mom was doing this. And yeah. and so they had come up with the story that when I went out to the car to get part of our pre-listing package and came back, that that's when the blue shoes must have disappeared. And I must have lifted them because I had said that I liked them. That's yes. how it went. So, so the, the old lady yeah. thought that Julie stole her pretty blue shiny yeah. shoes. And then she haunted us for a, a long, long period of time. And even way after the, this, it didn't just go away. Uh, they didn't list the house with us, big surprise. Yeah. And, and But they, they uh, this, this, these calls happened way after they even sold their house. She kept on chasing Julie. She was stalking me. It, it, yeah. was, it was creepy. Yeah, this okay. was before they even had the term well, stalking. But finally, we figured out what happened to the yeah. blue shoes. So Julie. here's the thing. This has been a mystery for years. <laughs> for enjoys mind anyway. <laughs> I finally, it's going to be part of my stories of our, my next book, Real Estate Stories. Okay. So here's the story. Sly Fox steals a hundred shoes. Now this is in Berlin, but this has actually happened all over the world. These stories about foxes. Why did the fox steal my shoes? Sounds like the start of a brain teasing riddle or an annoyingly viral song. But for people in Berlin, it was an existential question spurred by the knowledge that a local fox was the culprit behind a string of shoe thefts. Okay, so so somebody finally uh, captured a photo of the thieving fox and his stash. The shoe pile contained sneakers, clogs, sandals, <gasps> slippers. Julie, there's t- there's blue shoes. I see. I know. Right there in that I know. A range of slippers and range of colors, shapes and sizes. Though the most numerous shoes by far were Crocs. <laughs> These foxes. This fox loves Crocs. Look, there's his stash. No, right there. I know blue shoes. Blue shoes, right there. I'm telling you. And okay? you know what? Hold on. Yeah. Don't go so fast. I see one pair of blue shoes, two pairs of blue shoes, three, four pairs of blue shoes. Yes, you see? And you know what? They all are Crocs. Man, Germans I know, really right? have some horrendously oh, bad... I just, uh, just started working. Yeah. How weird. Okay. Uh, so still unknown why the fox stole the shoes and why this particular canid had a thing for Crocs, but this isn't the first time urban foxes have done this. A fox in Melbourne, Australia repeatedly visited a woman's porch and stole three boots over the course of the week and lots of other uh, coyote. Kyoto, Japan, a fox there pilfered more than 40 pairs of sandals. So you see, there's obviously a fox in the neighborhood. Why are we talking about that in the news? <laughs> I don't know. So we what are they are, doing? We are. What are they doing? <laughs> right. What are they doing with the shoes? I, it's like some kind of nesting thing. And they say that uh, they think that some of the foxes like it for toys for their fox babies. So hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I thought those. Okay, so I only have two more. Oh, boy. Let's not end with the most disgusting one. No, let's not do the disgusting one uh, at all. We'll, we'll, we'll use that for things I hate during the week. Okay, so uh, you can, I think this is kind of COVID appropriate, you can buy on an auction an antique vampire slaying kit, including a Bible, a crucifix, and a pistol. This is an antique brass-trimmed wooden box holding all the tools that you might require to slay a vampire, including a 19th century uh, Bible pistol uh, estimated to be worth up to $3,700. This is in England, and they're taking bids on this. So it's lined with crimson silk. It's quite fancy. And let's see, apparently the box says that it has contents also suitable for dispatching werewolves. So do you think... Now, this is a question for you, and let's not go to There's anything gross. There's a picture gross. of it right there. Right. So, so evidently, there was a time in human history 
where someone created a very lovely, you know, box full of very elaborate products. Do you think that was sold as a gimmick or sold as a thing, or do you think that was a real thing? No, it goes on to say vampire folklore and the belief can be traced to the ancient world and burials dating more than a thousand years ago in Europe took safeguards to protect the living against the restless undead with suspected vampires buried with stones in their mouths or pinned in place with rocks and iron bars. So, I think they were pretty serious. So vampires were a macro trend and that were obviously, you know, that's just not really true. And similar yep. to, say, for example, the validity of buying buyer leads, another macro trend. <laughs> I like the analogy. That's good. That's I, went, good. I went to loop it around. Uh, there you we're, go. That's we're, good. We're resorting poorly today, by the way. We are. We, yeah. I, I have worn my shell necklace to remind us to. Not stay on the, the podcast too long. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, that's my collection but, of most bizarre things. But it is funny to think, it just around the bend, it is funny to think about all the macro trends that people actually invest. I mean, you and yeah. I, we watched a really interesting uh, documentary on um, the the uh, tulip thing. Yeah. Tulip mania and how people were speculating on tulips and how that actually happened. It's that and, whole collective unconscious thing. It, right. You just need enough people to believe it and it becomes a thing. That's right. And that's essentially, the, that's how trends are formed. You know, and, and sometimes we look back upon them like we are just looking back upon them and saying, what an interesting, uh, intri- ec- what would be the word? Etra- extra Oh, well, forget Existential? it. Existential? Uh, I don't know. Extra- I, don't know. I need some more caffeine, clearly. Maybe less. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you were talking, I have one more thing. It's not in my screen, but you know, we report on aliens frequently too on this show. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say frequently and I wouldn't say well, we. I would say you okay. and I would say infrequently. Now and then. Because this is one yeah, of your strange just, little hobbies. Well, we were talking about that footage that uh, was released by, what was it, the Pentagon and the the yeah. the Navy mm-hmm. uh, pilots. Okay, so I read two things. One is that the Pentagon is kind of pissed about that because that wasn't supposed to be leaked and apparently there's more where that came from. But also, I think this coming week, the UK version of their kind of X-Files of, of this kind of thing is also going to be released. So we'll have more to report about, you know, whatever gets out there. Yeah, and it's well, a new thing. I mean, we have three months left this year. We might as well. I mean, you might as well keep it right. Weird, we right? had pandemic, uh, global depression, recession. <laughs> I saw something uh, funny on uh, flying snakes. Absolutely, and jumping worms and things. Sal- now people um, evidently want salads with frogs and bats in it. Apparently, but I saw something on one of my friends' Facebook pages that said, and uh, this was probably an agent of ours, that said, uh, before we start 2021, could you please send the terms of service agreement and all of your disclosures and your FAQs because I'm not sure I want to participate. I, so. In other words, I do not agree. I do not agree. Check. Okay. <laughs> Somebody should have asked that before 2020 started. That's perfect. Anyway. Well, so listen, on that guys. Note. Yeah, on that note. So our little girl is going to string us up if we do not take her out and play. So that is what we're going to do. If there's anything we can ever do for you guys, remember, you can always reach out. You can just text me directly at 512-758-0206. And um, I'm going to give you guys a little tip. I stumbled across a company called, uh, it's called Community. And essentially, it allows a more uh, productive and organized way to send and receive uh, texts legally. And I'm going to be migrating most of our, um, I think, uh, fan, follower, and uh, coaching client text communications to that app so if you're if you have an opportunity to speak to a larger group of people you might want to check out that uh, community um you know just google community uh text app or something it's pretty cool and i think it's actually going to replace all forms of digital communication through you know facebook and instagram all the messaging things all the way people here's the here's the concept of it this is the reason i'm kind of in love with it 
is that right now if you put up a Facebook post, your Facebook post, depending on you know whether it's you boosted or paid for it to be seen by more people or whatever, but it's probably going to be seen by single digits percent of the people that are actually um, you know, in your list. Like Julie and I have had a Facebook page, a personal one, since Facebook started. And, and our personal one, we're capped at 5,000. And I think on our business one, we have 25,000 or whatever. So on the business one, we can put up a post and you can see exactly how many people saw the post, even if you pay to have it boosted. And it's tiny. It's like completely worthless. And so that you put all this effort into creating all this content and you're not even really getting the content seen. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. So all these different forms of communication that you guys have invested in are essentially going to be nullified as they squeeze down on um, you know your ability to leverage what you created. This is another reason why we always look. Social networking and all this stuff is great; it's fantastic, but it can never be the pointy end of your stick because of the fact that the algos can change, the rules can change, and all of a sudden you've overinvested in this particular platform, making videos or whatever, and they change the rules, and you're now basically screwed, and you've wasted all this time in because you did the wrong, you did the right thing, but you did it in the wrong order. And this is the reason we always preached you guys to do the proactive lead generation first and then maybe you dip your toe into the other stuff understanding that it's strictly just froth it'll probably never really generate you anything but it you know if it's fun honestly sometimes it's just an, a nice experience uh, an experiment well the reason smsing ultimately texting is going to be better is because it's a direct form of communication that doesn't it isn't uh, curated by you know some algorithm that's you know you always have to live in fear of changing and here's the thing that really sold me is that texting when you text somebody 98% of the time they read it when you email somebody it's less than 3% of the time they uh, read it and then the the messaging through all these social apps they're also re- dropping down into the single digits as well so you're looking at essentially all these digital forms of communication um, are essentially going to become more and more ineffective. And that's the reason SMSing is ultimately going to be what we think is going to happen next. And we're going to be doing probably a podcast around that. I'm about to sneeze. If you guys want to talk to us about joining our EXP family, like always, feel free to text us directly at 512-758-0206. Text Julie and I directly. If you want to talk to us about joining our EXP family, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. And Julie, thank you for a fun show. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.